Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation between two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and helping people navigate their careers within organizations and also obsessed with pop culture. I'm Virginia Martinez. And my name's Kara Kirby. Together we have over 20 years of working inside of organizations and now we both work outside with companies all over the world helping them drive their people first practices. This first season of Pop On Leadership is dedicated to a show called Ted Lasso. We're gonna walk through the first 10 episodes unpacking all the leadership lessons along the way. So let's get into it. Welcome back everybody to Pop On Leadership. Today, we are covering episode eight of Ted Lasso, the one about where the diamond dogs gets formed. All right. A lot of sweetness in this episode. Definitely a lot of sweetness. There's not this episode. You can feel like it is. I just saw the new Batman movie last night and I, my, my husband is a huge Batman fan. Like he's like the biggest like DC Marvel nerd you'll ever meet in your life. And like, I did not enjoy that movie. But it less <laughs> okay. Hot hot take right here. <laughs> I mean, it was okay. I'm a big Dark Knight fan, so it's it's just you know I've seen them all, but it, it I was like you know what if it's leading into something. Same thing I feel about Encanto. Like Encanto is going to be leading. Encanto was amazing. I do not feel the same way like I do this. I was about movie. to fight you yeah, if you no, were to say yeah, one no, bad thing. Don't, I saw that glimmer in your eye. No, Encanto is a perfect <laughs> movie, a perfect <laughs> soundtrack. It should be in a museum of perfection. No, not talking about Encanto. But I, I had the. I I feel like Encanto is about to lead us into this series of like superhero musicals and I am here for it like I cannot freaking wait for what's gonna happen after Encanto anyways my feelings I feel like a bonus episode is coming on about Encanto (laughs) we could we could like you know talk about their personalities and like how they're the shadow sides of all of them there's a lot in Encanto anyways Batman movie I did not enjoy it but it, it had the same feeling as like a setup like that's how mm. I feel about this episode. Like it, like there was a lot of things going on, but there weren't any very, there weren't a whole lot of big moments. Yeah, I mean, and to some extent, it's kind of like the third act, like of this first season, right? They've got to wrap this mm. up, so they have to make a turn towards the final scene, right? So, yeah. oh, you were gonna say something? Go. Oh, I, I, yeah. Okay. So there's not a lot going on in this episode. However, it is one of the single greatest sports scenes with the darts that has probably ever been in a show. So not a whole lot, but also this one scene that we're going to talk about here in a second is this one of the single greatest sports scenes I've ever seen. So how this all starts, where we last left off with Ted Lasso was they traveled to Liverpool for that away game. And so episode eight opens up as like the morning after everyone's hungover, right? They partied really hard. We see Rebecca after her escapades with the waiter, sassy, you know, and Ted slept together. Um, Nate wakes up at the trunk of the bus. Like, I mean, everyone's kind of a wreck, right? And... No more than Ted, who's processing the fact that he had a panic attack at the karaoke bar, slept with Sassy and somewhere in between, like signed his divorce papers. Right. And so 
as he's freaking out, he kind of calls in reinforcements, Beard, Nate, and then Higgins, and in them all talking about giving him advice and really talking out loud. There's just so much like, I just, I, I actually really loved, I'm like, I've always loved Higgins, but now I really love Higgins. There's that moment, right? <laughs> um, and that's how they formed the Diamond Dogs, this group of guys that are going to be there for each other, rally together, come together anytime anyone needs like life advice. So there's that. Um, the other thing that we're mentioning too is Rupert <laughs> never, never sleeps on being uh, an asshole. Just never, <laughs> never sleeps. Just really just, set the bar high of like what a shitty male can be. Yeah, just just a caricature of a caricature of just assholeness. Um is now with this uh young young lady Bex who we met at the gala a few episodes ago. They're now engaged. He's he shows up at the pub where he knows Rebecca's going to be, just flaunts it in her face, buys her round and says, "Oh, and by the way, um you were here to meet with the Milk Sisters." <laughs> Meanwhile, Ted has all these milk puns. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, um <laughs> when he's like, how much ownership do the milk sisters have? And she's like, 2.9. He's like, I'm going to round that down and call them 2% milk. <laughs> okay, anyway. So good. <laughs> but anyway, so Rebecca had brought Ted to the to the pub to meet with the milk sisters because I guess they're kind of annoying, but they are part owners of, of, the, of the football team. And guess who's there? Rupert, by the way, you're not going to have lunch with the milk sisters because I bought their 2%, 2.9% shares. And now I'm once again part owner. So guess what, Rebecca? I'm going to see you every In the owner's box. And when they point the camera... When they point the camera at me and ask me how I think the team is run, I'm going to be honest. It's like, oh... You see, I mean, I often wonder why Rebecca kind of puts up with it when she's like, it's fine. Because she had the, like, Ted's like, do you want to leave? And she's like, no, no, it's okay. I don't want to give him the satisfaction. But it's like, yeah, but you're also like signing up to just sit there and take it. I don't know. Anyway. So what ensues? Is that the right word? Whatever. What unfolds (laughs) is this dart game, right, where... Ted wants to make like a friendly wager with Rupert and it's like, hey, do you you guys really love bar- darts around here? Like, let's play a game. And if if you win, I forget what he's oh, it's like, oh, you get to pick the starting lineup moving forward for the remaining games. And if I win, you don't come anywhere near the owner's box. And Rupert, of course, he's like, oh, like a villain out of a movie. He's like, I did. I forgot <laughs> I had these. He like travels with his own darts in his pocket. Like in a case, not like a sharp thing in his pocket. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and he so there's this. <laughs> Rupert's like, oh, I forgot I had these on me, and he opens this case with these darts, and Ted's like, oh, I forgot I was left-handed, and then like, boop, th- like hits the bullseye or whatever. So amazing game and. There we have it. Diamond dogs and darts is sort of the backdrop. Dogs and darts. Yeah. And there and then, you know, Ted goes in that scene, he goes, Oh, I forgot. I'm left-handed. And then at the end of that scene, oh, it's just it's the best thing. And yeah, let's yeah, let we'll we're gonna talk about that more in a second about like what that means. So let's talk about this idea of having a close-knit group of friends at work yeah I 
So I, I wanted to say something interesting about this. My, I'm a very friendly person. Like I'm like an extreme extrovert. I make friends wherever I I go just because I, I don't meet strangers, right? It's, it sounds cool, but it also has its disadvantages anyways. Um, so I have always been told, like, you be professional at work. You don't make friends. Uh, I mean, you know, like your work is work, right? Especially, I think, in our generation, whenever we started, I think things are different now. But when I started, it was always like, Kara, put your big personality to the side. Like, use that for work. You can't befriend everybody. You can't get so close to the people at work. And I, I have... As I've gotten older, I've completely rejected that. Like, I think it is such a weird thing that, and people probably disagree with me on that, and that's totally fine. But I think that the relationships and the closeness that you form with people that you work with is half of the enrichment of work. And if you have a great team, if you have people you can confide in, that is, that's what life is all about. And what it does is it makes it so that you have freedom because if you ever decide to go off on your own or go do different things or go look for jobs, those close relationships that you form inside of an organization are going to be what carries you. Yeah. So it's, it's so strange that we have these conflicting messages out there of like, making friends at work or not. And also I'm going to end this tangent here in a second. Whenever Gallup does their studies of engagement, one of the questions that is correlated to high engagement inside mm -hmm. of a population is I have a best friend at work. So yeah. there's a complete correlation between having these close relationships at work. However, it's can sometimes be frowned upon in organizations. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see this from so so many different angles. Yeah. One, it's it's. I ask that when I develop surveys for for clients as well. I always ask that question as well because I think it is an indicator of do people feel like they belong or sense of authenticity? Can they build relationships? Is there trust? That kind of it points to a lot of things, right? Um, I I I think mul I think there could be many things that are true and okay. Like for example, I don't think you have to have a ton of best friends at work. And let me let me sort of give you an example of why this is hard. Like I worked at an organization that was extremely friendly. Everyone was friendly. But like, if you were a working parent, and you had to get home at a certain time, like, mm, you don't yeah. have the same flexibility to go like to happy hours every day, or drop everything and go to the baseball game. And and I and I did develop friendships at work through the work right? Working side by side with people building trust, building rapport, and then finding times to go grab lunch or coffee or go for a walk or dinners or have people over my house for dinner, like that happened. But I think we have to be very careful that if it's only going to build it through like happy hours and shit, like mm -hmm. that is not always, I mean, some people just don't drink, first of all, but some people just don't have the flexibility to like, they have other responsibilities outside of work that prevents them from that. So there's, there's that. The other thing that I think is like, I survived some of the most challenging times in my life that were work related because I had friends at work because they, and in, in as much as I love my husband and came home and would tell him like, he didn't know the players, he didn't know the dynamic, he didn't know the gossip. And there's something so supportive of when you like bring up someone's name and, and that like you're 
work friend is like, like, oh, yeah, I I know. I also hate them. (laughs) Yeah. No, to some extent, like, it helps you get through the tough times and there's a shorthand. And and look, I've had times where my work friends are like, oh, that's so interesting because I've never had that experience with them. But I could, you know, like there's – but at least they – they understand who you're talking about and understand the dynamics and it just I mean, makes work at its core is a community right yeah yeah i mean and you can get that from there and i i hear you on that i i don't i think you can look at it from a lot of different angles too because i we would hear the complaint i did a lot of culture work in my last organization and i would hear people would come to me and they would say kara i don't feel like i'm fun enough for this company because yeah. it was and my heart would always go out to them because I'm the type of person that company was built for, right? Like at the time I didn't, well, I, I, well, I did have kids, but anyways, I am still the type of person that it was built for because I'll go to the happy hour. I'll go make friends with strangers. I'll do all this stuff. So like I, my personality type, like the super extroverts would thrive. Whereas the introverts telling mm-hmm. a bunch of introverts to go to a happy hour without like a problem to solve is their absolute nightmare. Like you, yeah, so I know it, it. I I don't know how I. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can you can think about right. that. How do you design? How do you, so? How do you design the organization if you're set on it being inclusive, so that you can have a strong community, but it also is meeting the needs of your introverted and your extroverted personalities. I think what what some organizations do well, um, you see this happen a lot through professional services company that tend to hire in these sort of class year cohorts, is put a lot of energy into like, well, I joined in, I'm making this up, I don't know why this year came, like 2008, and so I've got my cohort of 2008. We might not all still be here, Mm -hmm. but we connect from time to time. There's a cohort around, maybe it's your alma mater, maybe it's around affinity groups beyond just like, you know, employee resource groups, but like the group of people who like marathon running and are gonna train together. Like that, what I'm saying is, you, it's not that you can only be friends with people who have the same interests as you. However, when you think about what can a company do besides force you to be friends or at, like, which is not their place, right? It's not the point of it anyway, is at least create some containers where you can get together, throw a little budget at it or, you know, and then just create the spaces for people to connect internally around things like that. So around commonalities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I, there's not there's not a perfect answer to it. Have you, you know what I've been thinking about this episode, like, I, you know, I, I've had moments where I've had my version of diamond dogs at work, but have you ever mm-hmm. had a work friend or someone that you thought was a work friend and then you're like, feel betrayed? <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, I'm winding up a story on my end, but I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. That is, I, I mean, that's something I have to work on throughout my entire life is that like, I, t- oh, actually I have, I have a story for this. So um, when I started my first company, they took us all and put us in a hotel room for three months. And like, so we had to memorize this 52 page presentation and get to the point where we were so proficient that we could go into businesses and act like the experts. Right. But it was just, we had a presentation memorized. I, I, I could talk about that more, more organizations needed to, to do that. Right. But so 
anyways, I, so like in my head, I'm Texan, like, in te- like Texans don't meet strangers, like, like the whole state, it's got its qualms, but it's a very friendly state. And there's a culture shock whenever you leave Texas and you go to other places because other places take time, right? Like in Texas, you're like, Hey, my doors are open. Who wants dinner? Like everybody get in here. Like, that's just kind of how the culture is. But, but other, if you go to other cultures, it's like, I need to get to know you. I need to feel you out. I need to take a little bit of time. So my younger self, whenever I was in that situation, I was like, okay, we're gonna have this group of eight people. We're all going to be best friends. Like that's going to happen tomorrow. And like, they, like, they weren't having it. Like they were like, this girl is like an alien. She is from a different planet. And it, and I was like, and I was really excluded. So that was my first experience of that, of like, sometimes I go in and I'm very like open and vulnerable and I'm like, let's just be friends from day one. And sometimes, sometimes people that catches people off guard or they don't want to reciprocate it. And I've had to take my ego. I've had to learn how to take my ego out of that situation and say, people just need time even and, and it not hurt my feelings as much as it used to. Cause it used to really hurt my feelings that people didn't want to be best friends with me within like two seconds. I, yeah, I can see that. But I mean, hopefully how did this end? Did you eventually all become best friends? <laughs> Some of us did. I, I for myself personally have learned that, I, I'm, I'm first impressions are not my jam. Like I, I'm people will be like, sometimes I am off putting to people. And like, now I just know that about myself and I'm like, give it time. Like, this is just who I am. Like you'll get used to it because I can come across really fake when people meet me and they just don't realize like, that's just actually my personality. And you know, they're like, what's the catch? Yeah. (laughs) They're like, what is this girl on? And I'm like, it's called ADHD. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) Anyways, tell me, tell me about your story, though. I'm curious. What it what was that like for you? For me, the lesson learned, like, it's not that I was, you know, beyond reproach in this dynamic is um, the lesson I had to learn is there are times when when, like you just want to vent, but you have like, and that's what's really beautiful about having friends who just let you vent and then say something like, do you want to vent or do you want advice? And we could just talk about that forever. But what I learned was that I can't vent to everyone until I know I've got yeah. deep trust because one, if that's all they associate with me, that's all they associate with me. And they kind of, it overshadows like all the hard work all the time. I've picked myself up and dusted myself off and it, it it overshadows like the fact that I worked my way through it. But they all like what I realized people were holding on to is like that time at lunch when I vented, not the fact that I figured out my way through it. And that bit me in the ass, yeah. right? Because when it came time to have conversations about my performance or whatever, the fact that I got through these really hard moments was not up for discussion. What was up for discussion was like my attitude. And oh, it was based wow. what was and it was based on what I thought were these private conversations with friends, work friends. And so it really taught me to like be careful. And I don't want to say like it taught me to be a little fake, but what ha- what's okay, but here's what's really interesting because the person that eventually and I'm not blaming this person, but the person that eventually did sort of and to some extent throw me under the bus 
in that moment because they're like painted me as a complainer and, and and in their defense i was complaining to them right however when what, i no, turn hold on sorry what an asshole that's a that's a dick move like yeah but it was i mean that, don't put that all on yourself like they no they, i they, i think it was like a card they could play to in a way it was like all you know it's all these things are no, always a little called, political that's called it that's a dick move that's what that was <laughs> we'll do some I, healing on this call today that part, i don't know i mean i long walk up a short pier <laughs> well i felt funny enough the office was on a pier but um so <laughs> no no i kind of felt that way at the time but i do and I think there was some personal gain out of making me look bad, of course, but I don't blame them. Like that was their experience with me. Anyway. I'm sorry. I no, we, no, we no, can no, agree no. to disagree on this. If someone has a problem with you and they go talk about it to somebody else, granted, if you were venting, whatever. But if they have a problem, they should be have the courage enough to come have that discussion with you first and you totally. not hear it from another person. Like Well, so so inversely or, you know, alternatively, I have a really dear friend. I'm I'm gonna say his name because he deserves all his act my friend Sandeep, who I did vent to, and he was like, Hey Virginia. I'm your dear friend, and I will never repeat this. But if you are venting this way to someone else, and I was in a dark, low place, mind mm -hmm. you. So there's like, they may not react the same way as me because they don't know you as well. Mm -hmm. And he gave me that advice. And I started like, so between being thrown under the bus and Sandeep's great advice, I really reevaluated like, what I say and I don't want to say I was fake but if people were like is anything wrong I'd be like nope you know I kind of had to pick my audiences carefully but here's the really interesting thing to just wrap this story is once I turned off the faucet of like my complaining or venting that person that I know threw me under the bus as a complainer would be like so would like constantly try to get it out of me be like so how's it going with so and so I'm like it's great really is there anything you want to share with me and i'm like nope well if you ever want to talk and i'm like i'm good and it was so fascinating because what i learned was to some extent my complaints or venting was currency for her because she could go and like she's an asshole well it became currency for her because like she could use that as like she no longer had anything like what was left was my performance she could no she had nothing to pin on me in terms of my attitude oh my god so i love okay. having friends at work i have dear dear friends through work but and i also but be careful i i think that there's a piece too where um you know, whenever you talk, like gossip connects people. So oh, yeah. like, so having that awareness, it's like, um, that, that whenever you complain and you gossip and you get into that dark hole with people, it's, it makes you feel very, very close to them. Right. And so the more aware you are of this and I, and again, I love being close to people. So in my early days, it was like, how can I get there? Any route? Like, like let's go, like, let's become close. But if you're not aware that you're going into that hole with somebody all the time, it can suck your energy out and you might not want to be there. 
are. So it's how do you challenge yourself to say, I'm not, I'm actually not going to go there. Like, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to complain with you. I, I, I want to focus on problems. I want to have different conversations. It's the same. I think I've talked about this on another episode, but I think that, that, that women sometimes get themselves in the trap of, of creating bad cultures with each other because, because of gossip. They feel close to each other when they're talking about other people, right? And it's like we have to, we have to rise above that so that we can have different sorts of friendships that are life-giving. And you're talking about ideas and books and, and different things that you're doing in your life. And it's harder to get to that closeness whenever you're not in that hole together. Yeah. I mean, and that was advice I had to give myself because, yeah, I was in a dark place. I was really hurting, but I needed to focus on solutions. Like I either needed to leave or change or something, but continuing to talk about it was not going to help. Yeah. It's hard. Everybody listening. It's hard. It's it yeah. is hard to, to get yourself out of that hole. But I think if if you, I guess the only piece of advice I'd offer, if you find yourself as the one that's always venting, really try to think about, okay, what, what's in my control here? But also, like, I think it's often because you so desperately, and this was my case, you want to feel validated. Mm-hmm. And like, who do you need validation from to know that your situation is shitty? Like, if you could be like, I now validate that this is a, like a shitty situation and I don't need to go tell anyone about it. It is just like universally true. Can you allow yourself to move on from that story? Yeah. And, and it goes back to this, we are very scared to have confrontational conversations with somebody. So a lot of times what we do instead of addressing it head on is that we go talk to other people about it. And it's a way of keeping ourselves safe instead of entering the situation saying, hey, this hurt me, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, this, hurt, this hurt my feelings. This is making me feel weird. I want to talk to you about this so we can share perspectives. Like that is the Zen place that we all should be in our relationships, whether it's work or in our, our um, personal lives. But sometimes it's almost easier to be like, oh, Susan said this shit about me. What a, well, just kind of like I did about that girl that did that to you, right? (laughs) And I feel good about it. Like we mutually, I don't like, I don't like her. So it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) You're a good work friend. Um, Speaking of which, Ted showed up as a very good work friend in that moment with the darts game. And that was, um, so again, you don't always have to be a friend that goes out and boozes with people or be best friends and have sleepovers. But what what Ted did for Rebecca in that moment was, whether you want to call it friendship or allyship, like he realized it would be more powerful if he stepped into that conversation and dealt with Rupert because of his sort of position to some extent than Rebecca. And I think that's a perfect example of when it doesn't always have to be rah, 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 happy hours. Like, how are you showing up for people as well? Yeah, absolutely. And he know he kept, he kept seeing it that this, this person was taking the power away for, Oh, it's going to give me chills. This person was taking the power away for whatever reason from Rebecca, from his friend. And he, you know, he stood up and said, let me show you how I'm, I'm going to take the power away from him. And it was a beautiful scene. Yeah. Will you describe the scene in the beautiful way that you describe scenes. Oh. Well, we talked about sort of he opens the, um, 
the the case he's like i forgot i had these on me he had the dart and then ted has that like oh i forgot i was left-handed and it's like this intense game of darts it's so great may you know the pub owner love Love a may yeah um and it seems like i don't i don't know the rules of darts but it seems like it's really close ted asks may so what do i need to win and you know he whatever i forget what it was you know because again i don't really understand the rules of darts but (laughs) as he's about to do his last three throws <laughs> I don't even know if that's what they're called. Um, he goes on this little, you know, bird walk, these Ted Lasso lessons, and he talks about when he was a kid how he was always underestimated and how he couldn't understand why people always underestimated him and counted him out. And often because, probably because he was just like so nice and welcoming, that people were like, what's. like thinking maybe it was shallow or like that there was no substance there sort of just counted him out and he remembers he shares this moment when he was a child that he saw this walt whitman quote be curious not judgmental and he's like because if you had been curious you would have asked me because you like basically you judge me but had you been curious you would have asked me do you play darts ted how long have you been playing darts And I would have told you I played every weekend from when I was six to 16 till the day my father, I'm going to start crying, my father passed at whatever bar. And he opens up about himself in this anecdotal way that he does so well. But I love that, like, be curious, not judgmental, like before you're going to go and just whether it's judge a book by its cover or what have you, like realize that maybe there's more there. Yeah, absolutely. And I do know darts. So let me add a little color commentary, please. So for Ted to win this game, so darts, you have to get you have to hit a mark in very specific areas. So for Ted to win this game, he has three impossible shots. And he's so good at darts that he lands them like while he's telling this story of get curious because I can put this dart anywhere on the board that you ask me to. And it is so powerful and it completely takes the wind out of Rupert's sails. And so the viewer is watching this scene and you just like want to jump out of your seat because you're like, yeah, take that you asshole. And I, I think that that's a good way for us to, you know, talk to, to, you know, in this episode is this beautiful idea of curiosity. Curiosity is, it can solve all problems. It can solve all (laughs) relationship problems. So often we go into situations with judgment. And if we just internalize that Ted Lasso inside of us, and got curious instead, it, it would, it would change so many things, right? Like if you're entering a conversation and you're scared about it, and I always tell people to reframe it of, of how do you get curious instead? Like you think this person's coming at you and they have all these ill intentions. Your mind is creating this, this labyrinth of torture that you think this person is going through at you. But if you just let down your guard and you ask the questions of like, how do you see this? What is your perspective? Like, where is this coming from? The conversation will go to a resolution and then you'll get to take that weight off your shoulders, right? Curiosity is just, I think, one of the most powerful things that we have in the world. Yeah, and and 
in addition to sort of helping with interpersonal relationships, I, I think I do a lot of work around helping teams become more innovative and curiosity is a big part of it. So even if you're like, okay, well, I don't want to build these interpersonal relationships. What does curiosity have to do with me or what have you? It's it's really about leading with questions more than statements. It's like it's simple as that. So like the thing that you're about to say out loud that's going to have a period at the end of it, <laughs> how do you leave a little bit more space in the conversation for others to offer their perspective or ideas? And that's really what it is. So instead of with a question instead of a a period that's so that's such a perfect piece of advice how might we see you next time when we talk about (laughs) episode nine there's a question all right Um, our design thinking expert that is on the line (laughs) okay so please connect with us in other ways let us know through social media or different um we'll let you know how to connect with us but let us know what you think about friendships at work and we'll see you next time for episode nine Take care. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.